Hey everybody, it's John. Welcome or welcome back to the One Church Podcast. Hey, thank you for taking a second to subscribe to our channel. And when you rate and review this podcast, it really means a lot to me as it helps us engage with even more people. But most importantly, I hope that the word today will engage, equip, empower, and encourage you to reach the world. Enjoy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to read our text passage. It's found in verse number 14. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what the Bible says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's read verse 14 one more time of 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue. Somebody say continue. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now keep your Bible open in chapter 3 because we're going to journey through the whole chapter this morning. It's a short chapter. Uh, but what I want us to see is that all throughout Scripture, we find various stories and, and lists that stand juxtaposed while they're in great contrast. So in Scripture, there's a lot of listings or situations that are right next to one another, but they're very, very different. And it might appear on a surface level that the Bible even would contradict itself in some places. But what I love about being part of a church like this, where we don't just read the Bible, but we study the Bible, that we go deep. Um, is that we don't take things merely at surface level, at face value. Uh, we dive deep. Somebody say amen. So our understandings are being broadened. Our perspective is being heightened. And we're beginning to evaluate so much more than just the what that we read. But we're asking the question, why? Or we're seeking out the who. Who is God revealing himself to be? Why is he doing these things? And, and when we do that, we begin to see that the Bible never contradicts itself. It only complements itself. And so in Paul's second letter to Timothy, uh, in our chapter 3, Paul is once again commissioning Timothy to keep moving forward. Keep the gospel moving forward. Keep living in light of what is to come, not bogged down in what is behind. He tells them, I want you to continue. Continue implies motion. Motion implies a specific direction. And so surely, in light of the suffering that Paul is witnessing, or Timothy is witnessing Paul go through, uh, he'd be likely to pause for a second and reevaluate whether or not he wants to move forward. Uh, to which Paul would shout from the sideline, keep going, you know, keep moving forward. I mean, surely in light of the difficulties that Paul is predicting are going to be present in every believer's life, uh, this might cause anybody, especially a Christian today, to stop and maybe look for a detour. Maybe there's a way I can get to heaven, but I can avoid all of the struggles that Paul says I will have to endure, to which the Holy Spirit is reminding us today to keep moving forward. Now, the only time, the only reason that you need to remind someone to continue is if their temptation would be to look back or to stop or to, to pause or to redirect or to reevaluate. If you've ever driven somewhere, especially in a big city and you've used your GPS, um, you, you get to a point where there's all these different bridges going in different ways and different exits and different roads. And if you have a GPS like mine, the voice of the Savior, the voice of Siri will speak into your car and Siri will say, continue. 
It'll say, keep going straight. I know that there are opportunities to detour or to go somewhere else, but you need to continue on the path that I've placed you on. Now, if you've got people in your car like I've had in my car, um, I've got Siri's voice up loud because I get lost super easy, super directionally challenged, y'all. Like if the GPS can't take me there, we are not going, friend. Um, Just turn at the tree with the ribbon on it until you get to old man Bill's barn. No, I do not know who old man Bill is. I don't know what his barn looks like. Just give me the address. And so the Siri begins to speak and people are like, can you turn that off? Can you stop that? Like Siri keeps interrupting the music. Could you please turn that off? It's loud. It's annoying. I have Siri in a, uh, in a British dude's voice in, on my phone um, because it always reminds me to pray for Libby because um, and, and, he speaks so eloquently and I love talking to Libby. She is amazing. She's probably, she's going to be a pastor one day. I just believe it. God's going to, she's going to preach the word. And um, so I listen, but not only that, the dude, he like, he nags me just a little bit less than the girl's voice. What's up guys? What's up? What's up? (laughs) The Lord was just like, hey guys, wanted you to know I just stopped in. Glad to be here. Praise the Lord. God sounded a lot like Zach for a second. I don't know. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, so serious, people will be like, can you turn that off? I mean, that's, that's getting distracting. It's interrupting like that video just did. Like, can you please, can you, can you stop that? And I'll be like, listen, um, from the back seat, or the comfort of the passenger seat, it might be annoying to hear that voice keep reminding us to continue, 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 because it repeats it like 17 times. But from where I'm sitting, and I'm the one paying for the gas, and I'm going to have to pay for the eight miles out of the way if I take the wrong turn or I miss my exit, I'm going to keep the voice on, and you can put up with it. (laughs) And so here, Paul's shouting, continue, because there are detours that are becoming apparent. There are exits from the faith that are making themselves visible to Timothy, and Paul's saying, you need to keep moving forward. Don't, don't get, don't get distracted. And you know, from, from the comfort of our, our seats today and the safety of our air conditioned building, uh, it's easy to point our finger at people like Timothy and go, that dude must've been a wimp. I mean, Paul, it's like 25 times is like, keep going, keep going, keep going. I mean, it's like having that kid that just wants to keep stopping in the middle of a race that you're constantly cheering on. But I think Timothy would say, yeah, um, It might seem easy to you from where you sit, but for where I'm at, when Satan is attacking, when the bombs of discouragement and distraction are exploding all around me, when it seems like my destination is dangerous and I'm in the middle of a dangerous situation, I need a coach. I need a dad. I need a general to call at me from the front lines and say, keep moving forward. And so Paul reminds him, continue in what you have learned. Now, in all of Paul's books, Paul draws attention to three different specific facets of what it's like to be a Christian. He, and he does it even, we studied it last week. He reminds us that we're farmers in the waiting. Where what the Christian life is not just a short-term thing, it's a long-term investment. We plant seeds, we wait for them to mature, there's a harvest. Paul reminds us often, we're a farmer in the waiting. Paul reminds us often that we're athletes in regard to the winning. He's saying, hey, there is a crown to be won. There is a finish line at which you will one day arrive. You're an athlete, you've got to train for this. There's got to be endurance, you've got to keep moving forward. But I think Paul's favorite picture, the one that I think he talks about most specifically and at least the most often is that we're not just farmers in the waiting and athletes for the winning, but we're soldiers in the middle of a war. We're soldiers in the warring. 
living for Christ day by day, decision by decision. We are soldiers in the army of the Lord and we are in a war. Now, Paul didn't write this letter to Timothy in chapters. The English translators did that later to make it easier for us to find things. And so before we can jump into all that Paul wants to unpack for Timothy in chapter 3, we need to jump back and take a little context from chapter 2 in verse 24. Here's what Paul says. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Y'all ever play capture the flag as a kid? Ever play that game? You know that if you get tagged when you're on the enemy's territory, you can get captured. And so there are some people that are faster than others, and their desire is to sneak into the enemy territory and tag their friends and redeem them from the capture the flag jail on the other side of the boundary line. Where we stand on planet Earth right now, we're standing on enemy territory. And sometimes, and a lot of times, Satan distracts us to destroy us, and he takes captive people that are trying to press toward the mark. I mean, they're shooting for the goal, but he captures them. And so Paul says, correct your opponents with gentleness because God may grant them deliverance from their captivity. In other words, we're in the middle of a serious battle and there are some people who are being taken as POWs in this battle. There are prisoners of war and it's our job. It's one of our jobs to be soldiers that go after those who Satan is using to accomplish his purposes. But when I read the end of chapter two, I see one of those things that is like two different things on surface level. Paul says, a servant of Christ must not be quarrelsome, but then he tells me, correct your opponents. Now on surface level, that doesn't line up. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And then I started looking through all of Paul's letters and I found out that he appears to contradict himself a bunch of times. Like in Romans chapter one, Paul gives us a list of all these evil things, like a bunch of them. And then in Philippians 4, he tells us, think on things that are true and honorable, just, pure, and lovely. And I'm going, Paul, you just gave me 19 things that were nasty and evil and ugly, and now you're telling me to think on what's lovely? That, that appears to be a contradiction. Like in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul gives us the armor of God, and he says, but we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Um, but then in Romans 16, Paul says, mark them which cause division among you. And like in that chapter, on surface level, if you remove the context, you go, well, Paul says that people are never the enemy. And then Paul says, but there's people that are your enemy. And we go, that doesn't make any sense, Paul. It appears to be a contradiction. And so um, right here, I'm looking at this, and he says, don't be quarrelsome, but go fight. And I'm going, that's like telling a boxer not to throw any punches. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so like we say, keep moving forward. And we go, hey, Paul, I'm not sure where forward is because I'm not even sure if you know what you're focused on. Or specifically, we'd go, hey, Holy Spirit, I know you wrote this book. But maybe, I don't know, you were writing through a bunch of people and some of them might have been hopped up on some communion at the time. I don't know what it is that we're supposed to be doing because it appears like you're giving me double advice and I don't know which way to go. And Paul says, let me clear this up for you real quick. Let me clear it up. It's not a contradiction, but it will be a conflict of interest between your flesh and your spirit. And Paul says, here's what you need to understand. 
Attacking men is simply foolish. But avoiding sin takes strategic faith. Attacking men is simply foolish. It's a waste of time. Most of the time. Attacking men is simply foolish, but averting sin takes strategic faith. What does that mean? Paul says, let's unpack that in the next few paragraphs. So if you're ready to jump into chapter 3, say jump. Starting in verse number 1, Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days... There will come times of difficulty. We're going to pause right there. The other verses we're going to move through pretty quickly. But Paul, when he introduces a new thought, he packs a lot of content into the introduction sentence or the thesis of his new train of thought. And so like when he introduced in chapter 1 himself, there was a lot of content in verse number 1. And right here in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, understand this. I want to focus in on the word understand for a second. He says, understand this. In other words, know this. Write this down. Remember it. You need to get this. You need to understand that in the last days. What are the last days? Well, here you need to understand that the last days began after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or some would say the last days began on the day of Pentecost with the establishment of the New Testament local church. The last days began back then. We stepped into, after the resurrection of Christ, the uh, fulfillment of the old covenant, the establishment of the new covenant at the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus, the establishment of the local church. We stepped into the final chapter of earth's history. And so Paul is saying, in the last days, in the final chapter, um, hard times are going to come. Times of difficulty are going to come. Now, there are a lot of politicians. There are a lot of preachers. There's a lot of really well-intentioned people who believe that the world can get better. And that things could, you know, and as much as I appreciate the idea of making America great again, or as much as I think Miss America or Miss Universe genuinely does believe that world peace is what she, what she really wants, as much as that sounds amazing, Jesus even reminded the Pharisees in Matthew 16, hey, pay attention, you're ignoring the signs of the times that are everywhere. Jesus was saying, the world is not going to get better. It won't. It's going to continue to get worse and worse, and worse, and worse, until eventually people are like, do you believe in the Big Bang? Yes, I do. The Bible says one day the earth will melt with a fervent heat. One day God is going to bang, and this whole thing is going to burn. It's going to be incredible. Maybe we'll get to watch it from heaven like a NASA takeoff. I don't know. But it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Now, I'm not here to preach doom to you. What I'm here is to point you in the right direction because Paul says it is going to get worse, but there are things in your life uh, that can get better. The good news is this. Jesus is coming soon. Now, Paul preached that. Peter preached that. Every single one of the 12 apostles preached. We're in the last days and Jesus is coming soon. So it's not for us to assume that we're in the last days of the last days. We don't know. The Bible says no man knows when Jesus is going to return. We don't know. But I will tell you this. You read through much of the book of Revelation and there are things that you see happening today in fulfillment of prophecy that line up perfectly with the word of God. And if we're not in the last of the last days, we're at least 2,000 years closer than they were back then. We're more right now than they even were. Jesus is coming soon. A day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It's only been about two days since Jesus was here. Maybe he comes on day three. I don't know. But I know Jesus is coming soon. 
We're living in the last chapter of history on earth. And he says, in the last chapter, to Timothy and the Holy Spirit, now to you, he says, there's going to come times of difficulty. Take it to the bank. It's going to get rough. That word difficulty is a really light, polite translation of the word. It kind of encompasses a bunch of things, but if you dive into its root word, uh, more accurately translated, it would read, in the last days there will come times of fierce seasons. It's going to get fierce. And it's going to be for a season, not just for a short time. In the last days, there are coming days of fierce seasons. The reality of evil is going to manifest right before your eyes. The reality of evil is going to fill your ears. The ugliness of evil is going to attack you. And evil is going to be, and maybe is, a storm that will saturate the world in the last days. Friend, we were never promised that earth was going to be heaven. You were never promised heaven on earth. You were told that all that live godly, here in chapter 3, we'll get to it. All that live godly will suffer persecution. So I'm not going to be one of those sign holders in Washington, D.C. that's like, doom is coming. I'm going to be one of those guys out there with the Bible and free hugs that says Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. But in the meantime, there will be, not there might be, there could be, there will be times of fierce seasons where evil begins to manifest itself. A storm of evil will begin to move in, but here's the good news. We endure the storm knowing that we have the umbrella of the grace of God that covers us, the jacket of his righteousness that protects us. In other words, evil can reign all over us, but we're not going to get wet. It, the wind of evil can blow at us, but we're not getting knocked over. This storm will not take our power out spiritually. Salvation preserves every soldier of the gospel. So what we need to do is we need to first talk about what is evil. Because you can't fight an enemy that you can't name. If you can't point out what is evil, there's no way to fight against it. And Paul says, before I give you your marching orders, you need to understand who you're marching against and what you're marching against and why you're marching against it. Not because we want to dwell in evil and think about a bunch of evil things, but because we have decided to fight a good fight and we can't fight an enemy that we don't know what we're fighting. So Paul says, don't let these things take you by surprise. Be alert. Here's what's coming. It won't be easy, but you can keep moving forward. You can continue. And when the enemy raises its ugly head, when evil begins to surface, here's what you're going to see. Let's dive into verse number two. And I'm going to explain each one of these one by one just quickly. He says, when evil shows, evil will show because people will be lovers of self. In other words, people be narcissists. People will be lovers of money. They're going to be materialistic. When evil shows, they're going to be materialistic. When evil shows, they'll be proud. People will love to draw attention to themselves. When evil shows, people will be arrogant. They'll have an inflated view of themselves. When evil shows, people will be abusive. They will want to or they will be verbally harmful to those around them. When evil shows, they'll be disobedient to parents. In other words, they'll be filled with a rebellious spirit. When evil shows, men will be ungrateful. They'll assume that they have the right to everything that they get. When evil shows, people will be unholy. They'll be indifferent to that which reflects the values of Jesus Christ. 
When evil shows, men will be heartless. They'll be unable to sympathize or empathize with the people around them. When evil shows, men will be unappeasable. They'll be unwilling to forgive those who have wronged them. They'll treasure bitterness and anger in their heart. When evil shows, people will be slanderous. They will evilly distort. They'll have a constantly... A cynical perspective of everything that everyone does and says. It's just another form of pride, making everything about me. When evil shows, people will be without self-control. They'll be a slave to their appetites. Is any of this sounding familiar? Anybody watch the news this week? Anybody read Facebook this week? When evil shows, men will be brutal. They'll be dead to compassion. Evil will show when people stop loving good. They'll be unable to see morality. When evil shows, men will be treacherous. They will break promises for their own advantage. They'll promise people the world and break the promises in order for their own personal gain. When evil shows, men will be reckless. In other words, people will take massive, ridiculous, stupid risks in order to acquire the admiration, or let's call it what it is, the worship of men. When evil shows, men will be swollen with conceit. They'll be blind to the ugliness of their pride, and they'll be blind to the beauty of other people. When evil shows, men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. People will find more satisfaction in physical entertainment than they will in divine admiration. And the other bookend on this list, Paul says, at the end of the day, let me tell you that these things are not just in the world, but these things have invaded the church Because they'll have the appearance of godliness, but they will deny its power. In other words, in the last days, when evil shows, one of the most effective tools of evil is that people will use religion for personal gain without treasuring Christ above all. Friends, you've seen this. You've seen it on Facebook. You've experienced it in your context and in your world. We've seen it in the local church world, even in our own community, where men have attempted to use pulpits, platforms, churches, and the like to take advantage of people. And Paul says, this is the MO of evil. This is how evil works. It is 100% evil. But Paul says, listen, here's what you need to do. Here's your battle strategy. Evil's going to surface in the church and in the world where people will have the form of godliness, but they'll deny the power of God. They'll make him Lord of some, but not Lord of all. Listen to this. Here's what he says for us to do. Avoid such people. Avoid them. You find somebody who's filled with themselves, avoid them. You find somebody who's reckless, Avoid them. You find somebody who loves pleasure more than they love God, avoid them. You find someone who appears to be godly, but who doesn't live for Christ behind the scenes. Paul says, here's what you need to do as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldiers don't get distracted with civilian affairs. Those people, you need to avoid them. You need to get them out of your life. And that's where we go, Paul, Or let's be real, this is not just Paul's letter to Timothy, this is the Holy Spirit's letter to you. And we say, now God, that appears to be contradictory. I mean, does that mean that that I can't be around them? And that's where the Holy Spirit says, listen, no, get this, attacking men is simply foolish. It's a waste of time. 
But averting sin is going to take strategic, specific faith. What are you talking about, pastor? Does that mean that I never talk to those people anymore? That's not what it means at all. It just means we don't small talk. It's not that I don't talk to you. It's that when I do talk to you, I'm just sharing the principles of scripture on a consistent basis. I'm not gonna hang out with you and fellowship with you and pretend like everything in your life is okay. I can associate with you, but I cannot approve of what you represent. I can talk to you. I can show love to you. But at the end of the day, I I have to avoid you as a whole because that's what I have to do in order to keep moving forward, to keep the gospel moving forward. And listen, that's where some people would go, oh, but Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was. And he constantly reminded them that they were on their way to hell, but he was the answer. That's why he was their real friend. You remember in our series, The Greatest Showman, how that as he would begin to preach and to teach, the sinners would gather from the shadows and then they would gather a big crowd of people And Jesus would go, now that you're here, let me tell you what's up. The way that you're living is wrong. Jesus meets the woman at the well. It's not that he didn't talk to her. He went out of his way to speak to her. But then he said, hey, uh, you got a sin problem. He spoke love, but he spoke truth. And then he called her to sin no more. So if I find people that line up with these lists, our job as a Christian is to give them the gospel. I teach them, but I cannot transform them. I can teach people the principles of scripture all day long, but at the end of the day, it is the Holy Spirit that transforms them, not me. My grandma used to say, John, you cannot legislate righteousness. She'd say, you cannot make people do what's right, even though you want them to so greatly. And so when I'm around people who line up with this list of what evil looks like, a form of godliness but denying its power, the Bible says, God says, here's what we're to do. We're to teach them the principles of Scripture. But we're to take a step back and allow the Holy Spirit to do his job because God does a much better job than you and I could ever do. There's a lot of people, and this is is a rabbit trail, but it's important. I feel like this is something we need to understand. There's a great phrase Um, And and it's noble in its intentions. It just, it doesn't actually make complete sense. People say, love the sinner, hate the sin. And that sounds beautiful. And I understand the purpose behind it. And the purpose behind it, I agree with 1,000%. But I read in the book of Psalms, chapter 5, verse 4, the book of Psalms, chapter 11, verse 5, just to name a couple of a few examples that remind us in these specific words, God hates sinners. It doesn't just say God hates sin. Scripture is very clear. I did the digging to the root word. God hates sinners. And that's where I have to pause and ask, what's hate mean? I find there's two definitions of hate. One means to find loathsome, and the other means an intent to destroy. Love likewise has two definitions. One means to delight in, And the other means intentionality to bless. How could God hate who I am yet love who I could be simultaneously? (laughs) I don't know, but I'm so glad that he does. Grace is amazing. 
This juxtaposition reveals the infinitely righteous and just, yet merciful and graceful character of God. That he would hate sinners, yet have an intentionality to bless them so that he could love them for all of eternity. That is amazing. Amazing grace becomes truly amazing when I recognize I am the wretch. Paul says in verse number six, among them, these evil people, are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. This is important. Paul says evil always targets vulnerable, gullible, and impressionable people. Evil men and evil women. And listen, Paul is not, he's not downgrading the, the value of women here. Understand that in the context of this chapter, women are not around other people very often except for their own family. Men are about in the marketplace, in the streets, at the gate of the city, and they're constantly talking. But ladies were not, they couldn't, it was not kosher for a man in public to even hear a woman's voice in the, uh, in the old Hebrew, in the, the, the Orthodox Jewish sort of a way. So ladies are not conversing very much unless it's just ladies in the room and that doesn't happen very often maybe at the well for just a few seconds and so what Paul is saying is that evil will take advantage of people who are loners or by themselves or people who are impressionable because men can go hey I heard this what do you think about that and people can go oh that's wrong and you need to know that the, the Torah the Bible it says this but the ladies they didn't have that type of fellowship and so Paul's saying evil creeps into those who are impressionable and it begins to change them we see this in the church even today, where, I mean, it, it saddens me and it breaks my heart and it makes me mad that every single week there's some sort of a pastor that makes the news because he used his position to get into the home of an impressionable lady or an impressionable child. That is evil and God hates it. But that's what evil does. It's evil and it's not from God. And he says, evil will take advantage of the impressionable and the gullible. Here, here's, here's the contrast of that, and here's what Paul is illustrating to Timothy. Know this. Strong faith will always be accompanied by strong friends. Strong faith will always have strong friends. Because if I have strong faith, faith in the word of God, God calls me to live life in community with other people. You know what makes me, you know what sends up a bunch of red flags for me? When I find a person who is the, the ringleader of every circle that they're in. Because my question is, who has the platform to call you out? Who, who can talk to you? Who, I mean, who, who can speak to you? I mean, I understand that there are people who are leaders. I'm here in, in this body. I'm the leader. Yet I have men who've been in ministry for decades who are fathers in the faith, who have the ability to call me, text me, show up at any time and go, that was stupid. My question for people is, where are your real friends? Because people who have strong faith Here's what they value. They value accountability more than control. You want to know someone who has an evil intention? Evil intention always surfaces when somebody refuses to make real friends. Sometimes they hide behind their computer screen. Sometimes they hide behind their profession. Sometimes they hide inside their house. But it's not just weak women. It's weak men and women that are being taken advantage of because they're not strong in their faith. You want to have strong faith, you have to have strong friendships. Faith is something you have to have for yourself, but it's not something you can do by yourself. And can I encourage you in this moment, get 
in community. Get in a life group. If you never remember a single thing that I have ever said, that's the one thing I want you to remember. Get in a life group. When you get in community, you will have friends. Accountability is not calling someone out when they're wrong. That's part of it, but that's the smallest part of it. Accountability is helping people do what's right. Get in community. Paul says, here's what you need to do. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. These men, you can read about them in Exodus 2 and 3. Um, Their names are not listed in Exodus, but they're listed here. They were the magicians who Pharaoh hired to copy the miracles of Moses. Moses threw his staff down and became a snake. Janus and Jambres did the same thing. Moses called the frogs out by the power of God. Janus and Jambres did the same thing. But they made it to miracle number 3, and then they couldn't go any further. Because here's the thing, Paul is saying, uh, fake always fizzles. Fake always fizzles. Fake can only go so far. Paul says, they will not go very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was with those two men. My great-grandpa would always say, a faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed before the first. He would say, a faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed before the first. A faith that cannot sustain you to the end had a problem before it ever started. Know that. Listen, fake always fizzles. And the reason why people will make it in their Christianity so far and then they'll burn out is because it wasn't real when it began. When we are burned up with passion and with zeal for God, the Holy Spirit fills us and he empowers us and it's real. And a real relationship will propel us to the end just like it did for the Apostle Paul. It's not the discourage, it's not the disappointments won't happen. Disappointments will, they're inevitable. But discouragement is always 100%. Every single time discouragement is our choice. It's when we choose to be discouraged over being encouraged in the word of the Lord. Fake always fizzles every single time. Here's what he says. How do I faith forward then? And this is where I want us to close. Timothy would go, you've described the, the MO of evil, the strategy of evil, the, the snare of evil. You've talked about the, what evil wants to, to do. And so Paul, I want to meditate on some lovely things. What am I supposed to do? Paul says, you, however, I followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. That's a lot of things. He says, you didn't just listen to the word of God. You watched me. You followed my teaching, the way I lived, my goals, my faith in Christ, my waiting on the Lord, my love for what God loves, my steadfastness when times got tough, my persecutions and sufferings, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. While evil people and imposters will go on from, he says in verse 12, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, let me speak to you for a second, one church. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. From a child, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Know this, all scripture is breathed out by inspiration of God. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. 
Through the teaching of the word of God, we can correct our friends. Through the teaching, we can train people to do what is right. Through the teaching of the word of God, we can reprove that which is evil. That the man of God, that's you. That the soldier of God may be complete. The King James says, thoroughly furnished. It means equipped for every good work. God's word works. It works. There's no other book like it in its continuity. 66 books with various authors all talking about the same thing, never a single contradiction. How does that happen? Because it works. It's perfect. The Bible works because of its consistency. The Bible is unlike any other book in its honesty. It's the only one that will call you out. It's the only book that is a perfect mirror. God's word has no other book like it in its circulation. It has stood the test of time. There's no other book like it in its survival. Men have tried to destroy all of its remnants, yet God has always preserved his word because he promised that he would. There's no other book like it in its life-giving, life-altering power. No other book changes lives for the better like this living, breathing, inspired by God, written by God book that we hold in our hands today. The book works when you work the book. It works. 332 distinct prophecies in the Old Testament and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. 332 prophecies, Jesus fulfilled them all. The Bible's real, friends. The Bible works. But Paul says, I want you to continue in what you've learned. And I want you to continue to learn. Continue. Don't stop. Keep moving forward. Keep learning. He says, listen, times are going to get dangerous. Continue in what you've learned. Things are going to get tough. Continue in what you've learned. He says, it's going to get hard. Continue in what you've learned. And we go, why? Paul says, the cool thing about God is he always has a reason. He says, continue in what you have firmly believed. The King James says, continue in what you've been assured of. This word firmly believed or assured reminds us that Timothy would have recognized in this moment, oh yeah, God's always kept every promise. He's never failed, not even one time. Remember what you've learned and remember what God has proven over and over and over and over again. And we say it almost weekly because we believe it. Any man who could predict his own death and his own resurrection and actually pull it off, we're going to go with anything that man has to say. And then he says, knowing who you learned them from, knowing from whom you learned them. I, this is my life verse. Has been since, I don't know, 2007. I learned it in the King James. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And the reason why Paul communicates this to Timothy is because he's showing something important. He says, you know how I've taught you all these things, Timothy? Timothy would say, yes, sir. He goes, do you know someone taught me? And Ananias, who taught me, was taught by someone. And the one who taught, the one who taught Ananias was taught by someone. And Timothy, I'm calling you to entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is saying, continue in what you've learned and what God has proven faithful. And remember who you learned it from. Why? Because it didn't start with me. So it's not supposed to end with me. Didn't begin with me. 
It didn't begin with you, Timothy, and so it's not supposed to end with you either. Dear friend, this book didn't begin with you and it didn't begin with your grandma either. It's stood the test of time for thousands of years. So let's not let it end with us. May we continue. Maybe we keep moving forward, even when things seem difficult, crazy, and they don't make any sense. God's calling us, God's calling you, one church, to keep moving forward. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the greater Cadiz, Kentucky, or Winchester, Tennessee areas, we'd love to have you join us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our amazing children's and students' opportunities, visit us at onechurchcadiz.com. That's onechurchcadiz.com.